Good morning, everyone. So the uh, title of this talk this morning, the theme of the of the the talk is about letting go of the struggle or dropping the struggle. Now, originally I titled this talk Stopping the Struggle, but then I thought if you were to just stopping the struggle, then maybe people will struggle against the struggle. Uh-huh. That's one of the crazy things we do as human beings, isn't it? We struggle to get rid of the struggle. After when we take up something like Zen practice, some at least initially that might be something that we do, trying to get rid of something, you know, which is irritating or distressing in some way. And then the more we struggle about it, the more we create another opposition. So letting go of the struggle or dropping the struggle. Now, a term which is used in um, Buddhism quite a lot and other Eastern forms of um, spirituality is dualism or dualistic thinking. And what I understand by that is the nature of the mind to divide the world up into opposites. Life versus death, you know, gain versus loss, better versus, you know, worse. Mm -hmm. And uh, even Enlightenment versus suffering is another version of it. But that's a tendency we have. We create opposition in our life. <clears throat> and, um, and then the opposition gets played out as a kind of struggle or a fight as one opposite against the other. And we, if we see the world in that world and we think about the world in that way, then we act in that world that way. We act out our relationships in that way. We act out our everyday life in that way, in our in our imaginations and in our speech, in our actions, in our thinking patterns. And um, as it says in Faith in the Mind, I don't know whether you did that as a reading this morning, but it says, be neither for or against. Conflicts between liking and disliking are a disease of the mind. Gain and loss, right and wrong, away with them once and for all. Mm -hmm. Zen has this kind of uncompromising approach to it. Not work your way through it, step by step, away with it once and for all. Just drop the whole bundle is the Zen approach. Mm -hmm. So let's look at that a little more closely because it's one thing to hear this as philosophy or hear it as poetry. It's another to really understand how this operates in our own lives, how we create dualisms in our own life and then we act out our lives according to that. So let's have a closer look at that today. What we call the ego identity is really just this false dynamic of creating opposition out of things in our life and because we have long memories and very particularly intense emotional memories um, our ego is a kind of a combination of this dualistic thinking that has a long memory 
and the memory plays itself out in the present moment over and over again. And uh, that's simply what it is. It's, no, it's a fiction, really. It's a fiction that we've created in our own minds and then we've believed in. Mm-hmm. Alan Watts also described the ego as simply a psychophysical tension. That's all it is. You know, if you set, us up, set it up as something solid and real, you know, that you've then got to um, challenge or defeat, then you're caught in the struggle again. But when you see that the ego is just a fiction that you've created in the first place, that's a different matter. Kind of like just bursting the bubble of the fiction rather than trying to defeat it. Now it's interesting to see and it's worthwhile understanding this and reflecting on it within your own physical experience during Zazen of how this dualistic thinking and way of operating in the world actually manifests itself in our bodies. Because if there's dualistic thinking, there's dualistic tension in the body where you actually end up creating unnecessary tension in your body and you end up bracing yourself, like you're pushing against things in your own body and it creates tension and stress. So of course what goes along with having a non-dualistic way of being in the body is that the body body relaxes. I'll give you an example of it from my own experience. I realised some time ago um, that something that happened to me, one, when I was in counselling, but also could happen in Zazen as well, where I kind of brace my right shoulder, I kind of lift it and I tighten it. And I realised I would do that sometimes when people were in counselling, where people were very distressed emotionally, or at times when I was uncertain about what to do, this this shoulder would come up and forward. Um, It doesn't really have much sense to it, other than it's a, a way of trying harder. It's like all of this is about trying harder. If I just try harder, then maybe I won't feel uncertain. If I try harder, maybe um, I can understand this person's distress more. If I do it in Zazen, maybe it means I'm trying harder to do Zazen really well. Mm -hmm. But it's totally unnecessary. It doesn't achieve anything at all. And if I come back to counselling, the best way I'm going to actually empathise with someone if my body is soft and open and receptive, not whether it's hard. Mm -hmm. And the best way I'm going to do zazen is if I'm relaxed and symmetrical. Mm -hmm. So all of this is like totally unnecessary. So there is actually a physical manifestation. As we all know, mind and body is one. There's actually physical manifestations of this dualism in our, in our day-to-day physical experience. But if we look at the mind side of it, um, 
It's interesting to notice, like in our zazen, when we get caught up in fantasies or thinking, is whether often at the essence of it is where we're, ca we're caught up in some kind of opposition which we've created and then we're pushing against it in some way. You know, some, some interpersonal issue that has to be resolved, you know, or something that has to be known or understood, you know, something from the past that plays itself out. And we've, we've created some false dilemma and then we're pushing against it to try and resolve it. That's some of the things that plays out in, in our mind while we're sitting there and fantasizing. Mm -hmm. Something um, often that's to do with justice, some sense of injustice that has to be resolved might be at the essence of it. One of the things I see as a psychologist doing counselling with people who don't practise Zen or something similar to it um, is how much some people create so much drama in their lives and they go from one relationship to another relationship, one job after another, and wherever they go, there seems to be drama in their life. And you start to wonder, is it really to do with the, the, the girlfriend or the boyfriend or the, the new boss or whatever? When it happens over and over again, um, you really start to wonder whether the person themselves has created this drama in their life everywhere they go. And usually what you understand is that that outward conflict with the world is often really just a symptom or a representation of some inner conflict which they've created within themselves. And it gets being played out in their workplace you know, or in their, their relationships. And there's many different ways that this can happen. But one of the, the themes of this I find a lot of the time is around the issue of justice and injustice and the drama that's created out of that. Now, my own personal view is that, um, that justice, a sense of justice is maybe something inherently which is in all of us. Maybe it's even genetically there. You know, it's our way of getting an idea whether we're all getting a fair distribution of resources to stay alive and so on. Um, but often people can become really preoccupied with injustice and unfairness and the drama around it in a, in a, not in a, a healthy way. And by this, I don't mean in any way to suggest that um, having a sense of justice or fairness either in our personal lives or in political lives is an important thing. I, I've got a very strong sense of justice and, and fairness and it's very important to me that I act in a just and fair way to other people. And I'll also go out of my way to be outspoken at times where I see injustice or unfairness happening in the world. So I'm not suggesting in any way that that inherently is a negative thing, but it's often at the core of how we play out our life. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and sometimes people play it out through being self-righteous, being aggressive, trying to dominate other people with their opinions, you know, out of a sense of their, their own sense of justice. But on the other hand, some people um, are not necessarily bullies or aggressive or dominating. They can be more anxious or submissive, um, but they still have their own injustice issues. Uh, and they can be having an effect on other people around them where their anxiety plays out in making other people feel guilty that they've upset them, for example, when other people don't really understand what they might have done to upset them. So it all gets played out. Um, it's, all placed on, it's all based on dualistic thinking that I've got a right or wrong or I'm always a victim of something. And it gets played out in office politics and it gets played out in family politics. But often at the core of it, at the essence of it, is this sense of me versus the world or the world versus me and all of the struggle that comes out of it. Of course, like in, in social justice situations or in situations in our own life where maybe we need to stand up for someone or we need to be assertive ourselves, there is a, there is a calmer, non-dualistic, more skillful way often in which we can deal with those situations compared to when we're just really driven by this intensity, you know, um, an intense emotional impact behind it that comes from dualistic thinking. So often in my clients who don't have a Dharma practice, I see this in a much more obvious way how it's played out in their lives. Um, but just because we're Zen practitioners doesn't mean that we're free of that. Um, before we take up Zen practice, those kind of, that kind of dualistic thinking plays itself, plays itself out in a more obvious or a, a grosser kind of way in our lives. But just because we take up Zen practice, it doesn't mean that we've totally become free of it. And our ongoing practice is to see that the subtle levels, much more subtle levels of that dualism being played out in our life, in our thinking, um, in our speech, and in our, particularly in our interpersonal relationships. And it's not as though, you know, one and one is two, you know, or, or night follows day, but if you have less in a conflict, you know, the if you've seen through this delusion of creating opposites and a fight within yourself, and you come to that peace within yourself and harmony within yourself, then it usually manifests along the lines that you have less conflict in your life. Other people might want to get caught up in conflict around you sometimes over trivial stuff, but you don't, you don't get caught up in it. Mm -hmm. If I think of my own experience, like of working, you know, and, and the office politics that people can get caught up in, to my, to my mind, most of it is mostly trivial. Sometimes it's substantial, but a lot of it's just trivial. And so 
you just do your work and you go home instead of getting caught up in the gossip and the triviality of it. That's what happens with practice, with the maturity of practice. Certainly you don't turn a blind eye to, to real injustice that may happen in life. The nature of this dualistic thinking is that it's, in its nature, it's fixed. It's a fixed view of the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, in Buddhism, the, one of the, the uh, aspects of the Eight Noble Path, the first one is right view. D.T. Suzuki gave a, a, a Zen interpretation of what right view is. It's not to do with some richer position about right or wrong. He said, right view is having no fixed view. Mm -hmm. So if you have no fixed view, you meet each circumstance in your life fresh and anew, you know, and you respond to it afresh and anew in each situation. You don't build up a whole kind of rigid belief system from the past, which is loaded with emotion, which you then project onto life. Each, each situation is just new, and you respond accordingly. See, in terms of social justice issues and so on, for example, there's a very there's a big difference. Say, if you're a socialist or you're socialist leaning. There's a big difference between resenting or hating wealthy people and having an aspiration that people get a fair distribution of resources and access to opportunity. That's a different, different mindset. If you're a feminist, for instance, you could get caught up in being resentful towards men or hateful towards men, or you could have an aspiration to create equality between men and women. It's a big difference between the way we we act that out in the world according to the, the basis that we come from. So this is at the essence of Zen practice, is to see that the ego identity, the nature of it in the, in the dynamic has this dualism, opposition kind of quality to it. And again, if we use Zen practice to try and destroy the ego, or we're aggressive towards the ego, we just create more ego. We just create more struggle. So what is the alternative? Um, this is where humour comes in, in Zen practice. Humour is very important in Zen practice. When I speak to my um, Zen colleagues, my old friends who are also Zen teachers and other friends of mine, who've been doing Zen practice for a long time, the kind of conversations we have with one another is that we're, we're not actually any better than what we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, we can just laugh at our imperfections a whole lot more. Mm -hmm. that's, what, that's what actually comes out of practice is this, you just don't take yourself quite so seriously anymore. Taking yourself really seriously is part of the ego problem. So one way of actually 
working in, in a very here and now practical way in your life and in Sarsen is that when you when you identify and you label that you're actually getting caught up in some self-created drama, even in your own mind, it's like you, you acknowledge it and then you kind of laugh at yourself for having got caught up in it. I don't mean mocking yourself, but it's kind of a, it's kind of a, it's funny that we get caught up in this stuff. And the ability to laugh at yourself about being caught up in that, um, that egoistic tangle is far better than trying to defeat it or struggle against it. The nature of the ego identity is it always has a rigidity within it. The nature of Buddha nature, whatever you want to call it, Buddha nature, true nature, it's fluid. It's soft and it's fluid like water. That's like why all the Taoist images of, of practice are about the stream and the flow of the stream and water. Mm-hmm. So we move from this rigid concrete way of being in the world to this fluid soft way of being in the world which is adaptable. So to end this talk, my best suggestion to you in terms of practice is drop your bundle. Thank you.